0: Now listen, let me tell you two quick things. Uh, As you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with me. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, endures all things father we thank you for this clear definition of how we are to act in love help us to capture this grow in it and to be a people father who walk in the truth of your spirit as your disciples each day in jesus name amen now we're gonna we're gonna come back to uh We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 13, but I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 28 and read this great passage that Matthew records to us at the time of Jesus ascending into heaven. And it says this, and Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, just like we did, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage is commonly known as the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus' mission to the church, what his followers are supposed to be working to do while we're on this earth. Do you get that? Jesus left those who believe in him with a mission. It wasn't hanging out till he comes. It it wasn't living quiet lives until he comes. It wasn't, you know, trying to be successful financially until he comes. It wasn't just going about our business until he comes, just working and be blessed until he comes. As followers of Christ, if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, we've been given a mission. Jesus gave us a mission to make disciples. The crux of this, the very soul of this, is that people get saved. We understand that we are lost and separated from God. We help other people understand that. And they give their life to Christ, and we baptize them as they put their faith in Christ. Now, as we think about this, of people who believe in Jesus, uh, this, this whole aspect is that that's not the whole story of just put, getting them to put their faith in Jesus. We are called to make disciples. Again, this is not simply churchgoers. This isn't simply people who believe Jesus existed or simply believe He's the Son. No, we're called to make disciples. The most common translation for the word disciple is student. But it goes deeper than that in our understanding. A disciple is more than a student. A disciple studies the actions or beliefs and puts them into actions, begins to let his life be formed by what he's heard. So let me give you a, a couple of examples. I could be a, a disciple of a certain coach of a certain sport, and what I'm doing is I, I begin to train my teams the way he trained his teams. I approach practices and games with the same kind of philosophy that that coach had, I'm a disciple of that coach's style and that coach's approach to the game. I could be a disciple of a certain psychological approach and counseling, and so you approach your counseling from this kind of a a discipline, of a discipleship of how to approach I maybe how I manage a business I can become a disciple a student and I apply what that other person did and what they taught me into my circumstances in our case we are called to be disciples of Christ to not only know about him but to let our life and our actions and the way we approach the world be formed by how Jesus teaches us to see the world and we are to make disciples help other people see how Jesus taught us to approach the world so that they begin to approach life and the world that very same way it's not only a belief in him as a savior but a student on how his or how his and how his conduct with others in our lives is going to unfold setting aside different ways in following Jesus. Over the next few weeks heading into Mother's Day, we're going to look at this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and what it teaches us in one very specific area of our lives, and that's in our relationships. How we're called to react to others as disciples of Jesus. Jesus. What we're going to see here is how the Holy Spirit gives us a blueprint for our relationships. And we're going to be challenged in our relationships and how we approach them to begin to approach them the way Jesus would. Now, we know there's all kinds of relationships. There's You know, some of you, husband and wife relationships and father-children relationships and mother-children relationships, siblings relationships with your neighbors, with co-workers, with employees, with in-laws, friends at church, friendships of all sorts, many, many categories. We could go on and on and talk about how relationships impact all of our lives. We know people in all kinds of different places. How are we supposed to approach them? Now, let me give you two real defining points in this, two underlying points that you need to know as we go into this into this series. I I always feel led to share two things. There are toxic relationships. This is when the other person is so abusive. You don't want to be the toxic one. This is when the other person is so abusive, so manipulative, so angry, so controlling, so whatever, that the relationship itself is tumultuous, toxic, painful, poisonous in your life. So we understand there are some relationships like that. For your health's sake, let me tell you, toxic relationships have to be defined by boundaries. You're never going to get healthy in this if you have someone who's just toxic in your life without setting some boundaries. Now that that boundary may be that you'll never be alone with that person. The boundary may be that you're saying, I I can never be with that person again. Or my kids will never be with that person. Or uh, when this happens, when we go to their house, or they're ours, and this kind of thing begins to happen, we're just going to quietly leave. That's our boundary. We're not going to cross that line anymore. When this starts to happen, uh, we're out of there. These topics, the boundary may be that these topics are off limits. And you may need help in setting up boundaries and accountability to keep them. But I want to just tell you as you come to, if you recognize in your life you have some toxic relationships, those toxic relationships have to be founded on some boundaries that you set in your life and you've got to figure out what those are and set them and keep them. This series is not about those kind of relationships. That's not what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. But I want you to know, we're aware that there are are relationships like that happen. Now I would tell you, the blueprints we're going to talk about are still going to apply even in the toxic relationships, but you have to add boundaries to it if you're going to keep peace in your own life. You've got to know where I'll only go this far with this person and then I'm, I've got to pull away because they're so unhealthy. I, I can't be around it. Now here's the second point. The Bible always focuses on our attitude And our actions in relationships. The Bible doesn't give us a way to control another person. It only gives us how we react to other people. The only way another person is going to get changed by you is when you introduce them to Christ and they submit themselves to Christ And they begin to grow in Christ. And sometimes that happens when our love for them becomes convicting in their life and they're drawn to Jesus. But the Bible doesn't give you away. And, you know, we come and many, many times people come and say, "Will you pray for this person or that person. They really need to get changed. And we'll pray for the Spirit of God to move in their life. But the main thing the Bible teaches us is when Wherever they're at in life, how are we supposed to act? What are we supposed to do? Even when we have set boundaries, the rules and blueprints remain the same. Now, the blueprint for relationships in in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 again, and let's, let's read through it. And let's think about this in regard to how we react to other people. And we're going to come back to this passage many times over the next four or five weeks. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now this is not saying that you've got to find somebody to love you or you have nothing. What this is saying is that you have to decide to love people or it's nothing. It's not, again, it's not about other people and how they react to you. It's about how we choose as disciples of Jesus to see other people and react to them. So it goes on. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in long doing. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The foundation of the blueprint of relationships is love. Now, guys, listen to me. Our culture has a very narrow understanding of the word love. The culture we've grown up in in America has a very narrow understanding. The Bible has several words, Greek words, that are translated into one word, love. For instance... Uh, the word phileo we get philadelphia comes from philadelphia is known as a city of what brotherly love it comes from the greek word phileo which is gets translated in the bible as love and it's about brotherly love now the most the most common word in 1st corinthians 13 the most common word for love in the bible is used and the word is, many of you know it, agape. For American culture, if you understand agape, it begins to clear up the idea of how we are supposed to treat and respond in relationships to others. This is not some emotional. Oh, I just feel so, you know, attra- You just, you just. So- it's not this whole emotional thing that we begin to think. Of, oh, bro, how? How do I tell my friend I love them? It's not it's not that. It's not it's not all that kind of stuff. In the simplest terms, simplest terms, and, and we'll we'll go into this a little bit more in the weeks ahead, but in the, in the simplest terms, it's it's foundationally wanting the best for another. If I want to know what agape means, it's it's a desire for good things, for best things, for another person. It's that my heart beats with that. Agape is the starting point. This is is really key. Agape is the starting point of all love and the starting point of all disciples of Christ in the way we see others in the world. All others that we want agape for it, we want the best for them, that our heart is corrupt if we want something less than the best for them, that our desires that they discover and know the best. The disciple of Christ is called to let his heart be healed of selfishness and to recognize when his heart doesn't want the best for us. Now this, this isn't just not wanting... This isn't just not designed that, that you know, bad things don't happen to them. Agape goes past this being kind of benign towards them. Agape goes to wanting the best for them. It moves into actual desire for other people. A good positive. So it's, it's not that I just simply, oh, well, I, I, I just don't pay attention to that. It's when I see them, when I recognize them, when they come into my purview of life and, and my ability to do something in their life, however small or however big, that I want, desire the best for them that moves me. Listen, moves me to action. Whatever action that might be. That action might be pr- all I can do is pray for them. That, that, that may be the best I can do for them. But it moves me to not be cold-hearted towards them. The healthy Christian heart sees other people in the world through this prism of love that we, that, that we know as agape, wanting the best for other people. Do you see in a moment how this will impact all of your relationships? If you go into every relationship and you're seeing the value of the human being, of the creation of God, of the person who's been made in the image of God, and you're seeing past all the junk that this world would make us into being and all the reasons this world would make us be divided, and you see past that and you truly want the best for them, To the point that it will drive you to do what you can to offer the best for them. Do you see how that changes the world? Jesus is trying to change the world right here. God's trying to change the world. And agape is is the foundation for me to be in right relationship with others. From the easiest relationship to the most toxic relationship. That my desire stays Christ-centered. I can want the best for a person even when I hate what they're doing. I can want the best for a person even when I'm wounded by their actions. I cannot have a healthy relationship with any other person Unless I have agape, unless I have this kind of love for them that wants the best for them. If there's something less than that inside of me, I can't have a healthy relationship with them. And we can certainly see that at some level, God has given us the ability that even without Jesus in our life, that there's some level of group of people that we can have agape love for. There's probably a limit to it. But when Jesus comes into our life, he wants to break those limits and wants us to see all people through the eyes of agape love for them. As my world expands past my home, I want to tell you, you know this, this can get tough. This this requires me to take on my flesh that gets stirred up or judgmental filled with fear or anger towards other people. It call, calls me as a disciple of Jesus to take that on and to see it as a weakness and to submit it to and say, God, I look at this group of people. I look at what this person has done to me. And God, I, I really, I, I don't want the best for me. It requires us to remember what Jesus has done for us. And this requires us to call out to the Holy Spirit to seek for help. How does this process work? when I'm uh, angry or disappointed in someone. I have to recognize it in me. I have to see it. I have to, I, I, many times in my life, I'm just going to tell you who I am. <laughs> many times in my life, I've, I, I've had to call out uh, for help. God, you know how my heart feels. You know how I see this group of people or this person. And I know it's not right before you, but God, I feel pretty justified in the way I feel. And sometimes we are justified in the way we feel. It, it, it does, it is kind of a natural flesh reaction. And we have to look at it and see, wow, that's how this world has left us when we're without God. They've done the things they've done because they haven't wanted the best for me. And my natural reaction to that is to not want the best for them. Now, I'll tell you how this works usually in my life. The Spirit will begin to, to lead me. And I, and I don't want to tell you I'm, Please, I don't want to tell you I have 100% victory in this every moment of every day in my life. This is a battle sometimes. But you have to see it as that. It's a battle for you to be healthy. It's not a battle with them. It's a battle in your spirit for you to be healthy. So the the many times the spirit will whisper in my life, so uh, you want them to go to hell? Well oh, Lord. Maybe not that much. <laughs> a little ticked off, but that's that's a little extreme. Oh oh so you want something bad to happen to them. What would you like for me to do? Want them to lose their job? What do you want to have? Well okay, God. Maybe maybe not that far either. Maybe we can <sighs> Okay yeah. You do know, you want them to get sick? You want them to have illness? Come on. Well, no, no, God, I do not want them to get sick. Do you want you want them to be hurt like you've been hurt? Well, no. Well what do you what what is it that you want to have happen to them? And I begin to think, God, do I want them to punish them? And if so if I want him to punish them, wouldn't it be right for God to punish me for the people I've hurt and I've disappointed? Somewhere as you work through that exchange, if your heart's really right with God, if you're really sensitive to God, if you can sit there and say, yeah, I want him to go to hell, you've really got a problem. You know, I'll I'll, I'll confess, there have been times in my life when people could be very grateful I was not in charge of the lightning bolts. They can be grateful. And I had no power over them to control them at all. How many of you have been there? Yeah. And how many of you know other people have been there that if they were in charge of the lightning bolts, you'd have maybe less hair on the top of your head at least. Wow. No, what God's beginning to work through our life is how are we going to see people even when they hurt us? And if we can sit there and say, yeah, if they got sick, that would be fine by me. That says something about how sick we are spiritually. Are are you with me? But pastor, they did really bad thing. I know, I know, I know they did. But what did Jesus do for us? And how's the world going to get better if we react to all of those things? The mature believer desires changes to come in their life. And as God reveals himself to them, he wants those things to happen. See, here's a question for you today in a very practical sense. Where do you have relational stress today? Think about this. Maybe the Spirit of God will put a name on it. A person. Why do you have that relational stress? Usually usually it's because of some action or attitude of that person, the way they talk to you, the way they treat you, their attitude, their demands. And again, you may feel justified. You may be justified. Maybe it's toxic. And actually, you know, with toxic relationships, it's a... It's a it becomes a little easier because you set boundaries if you're smart. But there are many that are not toxic. They're just relationships that are hard. It's the brother-in-law that's annoying. It's the coworker that's rude. It's the mother who's demanding and difficult. It's the dad who's gruff and selfish. It's the person who breaks your bubble some way. They're not toxic. It's just not what you want it to be. What do we do when relationships are tough? I want to tell you, 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a comprehensive list of the disciples of Jesus, what our feelings and actions towards others are supposed to be. There are 16 of them. We're going to look at them over the next couple of weeks, and hopefully, you will choose. To be a disciple of Christ. And it starts with this one as we wrap up today. It starts with us being, listen, if you put a name on it today, it starts with being patient. Just being patient. Waiting for God to do his work in their life. And being patient. Aristotle taught that the great Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate insult or injury and to strike back in retaliation for the slightest offense, that vengeance was a virtue. Some Christians are more like Aristotle than they are like Jesus. They strike back. Patience is self-sacrificing, non-avenging reaction to those who annoy us. This is true agape strength. Stephen models that strength when when he's being stoned to death for proclaiming the gospel and he cries out to the Father, don't hold this against them. Jesus is a perfect model of this when he's being crucified and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Patience. Patience. Wanting the best for them. If God has been patient with us, shouldn't we be patient with others? So here's the call. Where is God calling you to be patient? One of Abraham Lincoln's earliest political enemies was a guy by the name of Edwin Stanton. He called Lincoln a low cunning clown. He called him the original gorilla. Stanton made this statement about, uh, about Lincoln. He said, it's, it is ridiculous for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla when all they have to do is go to Springfield, Illinois, and they'll find one easily. Lincoln never responded to the slander. But when the president needed the secretary of war, do you know who he chose? Stanton. His friends, Lincoln's friends, came to Lincoln and said, "What? after all the ways he's attacked you, why would you choose him? And his response was, because he's the best man for the job. His idea of what was required was more important than his personal feelings. Years later, as Lincoln's body laid in state, Stanton looked into the coffin and said with tears in his eyes, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. His animosity was finally broken by Lincoln's long suffering. Patience won out. Friends, maybe the harshness of others that you face today is to give you the opportunity to be a great, Instrument of God's grace for an eternal victory in somebody else's life. And so God calls us to be patient. To be patient. Here's the assignment for the week. Every day, read 1 Corinthians 13. Give it time to sink into your spirit. If you have one of, one of those Bible apps on your phone, read it in a half a dozen different versions this week. Just kind of go through it and let the Spirit speak to you and really let the Lord speak to you about patience. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, we've had a great day today celebrating baptisms, uh, worshiping you. Lord, we know we're called to be disciples as we go through these next weeks together. I just pray that, Lord, you would let this message of what it really is to be a disciple in your kingdom, what it's like. And let us not give in, Father, to the flesh, but let us rise above it in our feelings and our desires for others. Help us to be filled with that agape love in Jesus' name. Before we go today, Jesus offered this love to us. Have you accepted that love in your life? Have you come to him and say, you know what, I, I'm going I'm to receive the gift you have for me? Listen, friend, there's only one way to salvation. And at some point, sometime in your life, if you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to surrender your life to the one who loves you. Have you done that? You heard these testimonies today of men and women, boys and girls who surrendered their life to Christ. A moment in time when they made a decision. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a second. Prayer teams, if you'd come on down to the front, please. I know we're about out of time here. But you'll say, Pastor, today... I want to ask Christ into my life to be my Savior. You just raise your hand right now and say, pray for me. I'm going to wait just a moment. We're going to pray and be dismissed today. Anyone here today, you'll raise. God bless you. Anyone else today, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. Father, I thank you for this congregation. You've been so receptive today, so excited about this series and how it will help us to become mature in you and healthy in you. And Lord, I, I just pray you'd, you just let us see today where those toxic relationships are and help us to begin to accept that where we need to place boundaries to keep us healthy and keep the relationship healthy. But, Father, in all of our relationships, where they're just maybe a little bit hard and difficult, let us begin to exercise patience. And in all relationships, Lord, Let us exercise the foundational truth of agape, of love that desires the best for others, that acts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.